Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven returns with an exclusive interview. In this podcast, we find truth in fantastic stories, and we apply this truth to the real world that Jesus Christ calls us to serve. I am Eastie Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven Magazine. And I'm Zachary Russell. Please call me Zach. This is episode 21. In a blind world, what if only one boy could see? We'll be covering For Whom the Sun Sings by W.A. Fulkerson and bringing him into the podcast. That's right, Zach. Uh, this month of uh, June 2020, as we're recording this, our summer 2020 issue, this issue has more than 12 new reviews of Christian-made fantastical novels, meaning fantasy or sci-fi and beyond. If you go to lorehaven.com, you can sign up for free and get your digital copy of the magazine and web access to all of our previous issues all at once. The newest issue includes our big cover story with W.A. Fulkerson, author of For Whom the Sun Sings, and we're going to be joined by him later. And we have a very special sponsor of this episode. This is really fun. So, Stephen, tell us about today's sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is C.S. Wachter. We've reviewed her fantasy novel in the new issue of Lorehaven as well. It is called The Light Unbound. It's in the summer 2020 issue of Lorehaven. Uh, we've also put that out on the website itself. You can go to that by clicking the link in the show notes or go to lorehaven.com reviews and just look for The Light Unbound. That book has already been released, and uh, we actually did an extended review of that novel, thanks to her support. This is a clip from that review now of The Light Unbound. Quote, You're the light bringer of the one, heir apparent to the throne of all akin. Your exploits are legendary and your influence is pervasive, and your body is inhabited by the malevolent spirit of your archenemy. What do you do? In The Light Unbound, the fourth and final installment in C.S. Wachter's the Seven Words series, Rain Kierkegaard faces his greatest trial yet. Cast into the decrepit frame of an obscure old man, his spirit at last rebels against the path of sorrows charted for him by the One, the Creator Father, ever since his sixth birthday. For Sigmund, that sorcerous demon who stole his childhood has returned from defeat to steal everything Rain regained through blood and tears. His power, his family, his very identity. All but his faith in a God who views death as but a portal to victory. Ambitious in scope and relentless in speed, this novel concludes Wachter's saga on a high note. Again, you can get that full review at lorehaven.com slash reviews. And this summer, we're actually posting all of our magazine reviews, all 120 of them and more. Uh, we're actually trying to get those out every single day because our volunteer reviewers have just been working so hard over the last couple of years. We, we just have that many. Uh, this is all to help you find the best of Christian fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond. That's wonderful. I, I love how many books uh, we are finding and getting to share with you, our listener. So I, I hope you're enjoying some of these new books. So now we're going to turn to today's topic, which is a book called For Whom the Sun Sings. So in this interview, we'll ask the author, W.A. Fulkerson or Wes, Wesley, about the images, the ideas, the themes in his debut novel. This is going to be a really great discussion and talking about some really interesting ideas. So let's preview that story and give a clip from our featured magazine review, and then we will bring in Wes. So Stephen, tell us about this book and, and tell us a little clip from our Lorehaven review. Well, first I shall read the back cover, which says, The world is blind. Then one boy is born with sight. Nestled in a mountain haven, the remaining people of the world live in a village that is ordinary but strict. 
A severe peace must be kept severely, as they say. It's all that keeps them from descending into the chaos that claimed the world a hundred years ago. Led by the prophet Valdas and his regents, the villagers work, play, marry, and have families. They gather in ceremony once a year to celebrate their day of remembrance. Life is planned, precise, and predictable until the special abilities of 11-year-old Andreas threaten to undermine it all. End quote. And we write in our featured review of this book, quote, W.A. Fulkerson constructs For Whom the Sun Sings on an ingenious premise. He carefully builds a society without sight, working out the idea to consequences both obvious and unexpected. End quote. All right, let's bring in our special guest for today. Wes, welcome to Fantastical Truth. Hey, thanks for having me. Nice Absolutely. Well, first off, uh, as we record this, uh, I understand uh, because a little social media bird told me that uh, you had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, 29. Ah, well, I was going to ask the age, of course, but I also understand someone special to you will be having a first birthday. Yes? Yeah, definitely. We're expecting our second child. We've got a little girl coming any day now. I might leave in the middle of this interview. We don't. All right. It could happen at any moment. In that case, we'll just keep the audio because I don't think I've <laughs> ever heard a podcast where someone just runs out in the middle and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we had an important uh, life event arise and it's uh, captured here live for everyone to appreciate. Or, you know, I, I, or, you know, Wes, if, if you want to take, you know, the, the phone with you and then, you know, we'll just listen to there the birth and there we go. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that would be it's a like podcast a first. Uh, it's a little, bit off, little, little bit off brand, a, l- a little bit more of <laughs> realistic content than it. I'm not sure our listeners would be ready for, or even I would be ready for. I'm sure my wife would love that, you know, just having a live feed in the, in the hospital there. <laughs> that would, uh, that would be a first, uh, that would be first of its kind, fan, very fantastical story. Yeah. So, uh, so besides something like that, Wes, what, what's your earliest memory of a, of a, of a fictional fantastical story? Like what's the first book, movie, or other kind of story that really got you into this whole genre? Well, I don't know if this quite counts, but when I was in the first grade, I started reading The Hardy Boys. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, I think know, it counts. Yeah, we're kind of in this realm of mystery and fantasy and all that, right? And I was in love. I loved those books. I loved to read them and try and figure out what was going to happen. I liked the characters. They were a lot of fun. I remember actually being in, I think, the first grade, and I had to do a, a report all about me, like you do in school, you know. And uh, so my mom was helping me. And I remember for What's Your Favorite Book, I wrote the name of this Hardy Boys book I was reading. My mom was arguing with me because she said, you haven't even finished it yet. I kept telling her, no, mom, I know this is going to be my favorite book. (laughs) (laughs) So I read those for a lot of years. Uh, By the time I was, you know, maybe nine years old, I started getting into the Lord of the Rings. And, you know, it was fantasy and sci-fi for me ever since then. So from the age of nine, you got into... uh middle earth universe mm-hmm. oh, uh, yeah. some fan out there will probably want to beat that age but i think nine years old that's a that's a pretty well prodigy territory there well you know we had a really great librarian at the school that i went to she uh you know would really spur us on to reading good literature and she encouraged me and a few friends to read the hobbit you know we're we're nine years old or whatever and we'd never heard of it and so it was really neat because to us, it was like this secret thing that nobody had ever read before, which of course isn't true. But uh, we read this book. We loved it. We find out, oh, actually, you know, kids, there's more of these. What? So we start reading The Fellowship of the Ring. 
And then it was that perfect time when the movies were just starting to come out right after that. So I was, I think I was reading the two towers when we started hearing that they were going to make a movie of fellowship of the ring. So Tolkien has a special place in my heart. I was born at just the right time to really enjoy those. I feel like so that, uh, that had a big, big impact on me. So it would have also had, I understand a rather large impact then when you decided you were going to not only enjoy fantasy stories or fantastical stories as a fan, but as a creator. And uh, we reviewed uh, the novel uh, for whom the sun sings. Uh, your debut, at least with uh, Enclave Publishing, that uh, was reviewed for the uh, June 2020 or summer 2020 issue of Lorehaven Magazine. Uh, how did this novel come to you? Some of the early ideas, some of the images or motifs uh, that uh, that inspired you to explore this story of uh, one person who can see in a world that is blind. It was one of those ideas that I just couldn't let go of once it occurred to me. So I think I'm like most writers. I tend to ruminate on things. You wander around with a blank look on your face, but I promise there's brain activity going on. Uh, you know, and I started thinking about this expression one time. It says that in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And I found that fascinating because we say all these little truisms. There's all these little statements that we hear from the time that we're young, and we don't usually question them. We don't usually think, how did that come? into common saying why do we say this but i just got thinking what is the land of the blind why in the world is there a land of the blind what would that look like what does it mean and i loved that idea and so as i just kept ruminating on that i was trying to answer those questions a lot of my writing comes from going down these rabbit trails of asking questions so why is there a land of the blind well this is why how did they get there this is why and it snowballed until it turned into the novel that we have today that's wonderful. So it's a fantasy story. What what other kind of genres are mixed into this, or what other kind of genres have sort of informed this in this story world? I think a little bit of those uh, early days of loving mysteries find their way in as well. I still read some mysteries here and there. I think there's some suspense thriller aspects to it as well. Well, in our review, we said, quote, the novel appears at first to be pitched to a middle grade audience with its 11 year old protagonist and its skillful but not elaborate style. Then brief and strong content pushes the novel toward older readers, end quote. So I'm, I'm curious, what thoughts do you have about the idea of novels for grownups or at least older readers that just happen to feature heroes who are children? There's this idea if the, the main character is a child or an older child. Oh, this has got to be a book for children, right? But uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia onward, uh, I guess this is a leading question, really, because <laughs> uh, that just is not often the case. Well, you're leading me in the right direction, so I don't mind. Uh, no, I, I completely agree uh, with you. I think that I'm somebody who likes to read a lot of older material. I, I, love, I love to read John Donne. I love to read uh, Lord Byron, uh, you know, a lot of the old traditional literature classics and something that's really interesting and novel about the modern age is the fact that we stratify our culture. And that really has not always been the case in the human experience. You know, um, you think about Kipling writing Kim, right. Uh, or to take a more modern example, we have Orson Scott card writing, uh, Ender's game. So these are books that are about a child, but they're not necessarily only for children. I think there's something in them that, that appeals to children because we like to identify with the main character and, and a, a child can put themselves in those shoes very easily. So they tend to enjoy them. 
but uh, I think there's a lot of depth there as well for for adults to enjoy. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think that it it excludes anybody. It is classified as a young adult novel, but uh, so far we've seen a pretty wide age range of enjoyment, and and that makes me happy because that's really the sort of thing that I like to write. I can totally relate to that. The stories that have uh, children, but it is a way for an adult to sort of almost explore other aspects of your own childhood or, um, or just adolescence or, you know, just kind of your past in a way. So what, what would you say is like the mood of this story? I would say that the mood changes as the book progresses. I think that you very much are on a journey with this sort of fish out of water character. And so for the beginning of the book, it is this sort of innocent, you just accept life as it is sort of a, a mood, right? Uh, Andreas, the main character, very much feels like an outsider and, and you partake of that with him. But as the book progresses, I think it starts to feel a bit more sinister uh, and more intriguing sort of more like that suspense or, or thriller. So Wes, I'm curious, talking about. especially when you start with that, uh, that catchphrase of in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. What I want to do, at least having a Christian background, is instantly jump to, oh, this is allegory. Blind equals unsaved. And if you can see, that means saved, you know, and then suddenly, uh, you know, not, not to dismiss the power of allegory wherever it does appear, but suddenly like my brain, despite myself wants to tell, oh, this is an allegory. And therefore the value of the story is in the allegory. I just wanted to run that past you and get your thoughts. And of course, uh, any, any pushback against that idea. Sure. I think that it ends up being broader than that. So I'm not going to say that that is not a part of it, but you know, even the dedication of the book, it says at the beginning for anyone who has ever felt like they were alone in knowing the truth. Mm. And so I think this is a pretty broad and universal feeling. And, and that's the right word. It's, it's a feeling as well. And so the book, I think, does have some allegorical truth, but I didn't write it as an allegory. Right. I think as you read it, you're going to experience a lot of emotion. And that's, I think, a hallmark of an actual story, you know, because we, we have all felt this, this way deep inside, like you're taking crazy pills and something is so apparent to you, but other people just aren't picking up on it. There's no way you can convince them of what's so clear to you. So I think the emotion of it uh, helps make it a little more multifaceted. Isn't it Dostoevsky? I don't know how to say it right. Isn't it Dostoevsky who has a story called The Idiot about mm -hmm. someone that uh, knows the truth, but no one else does? Yeah, I believe so. My Dostoevsky is unfortunately, as of yet, incomplete. Uh, <laughs> Crime and Punishment and the Brothers Karamazov are the only major works I've gotten through at this point. But um, I, I believe that's what the idiot's about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what would you say are some of the other themes again, without, without spoilers, but what would you say are the other sorts of uh, kind of emotional resonances or just ideas that you're playing around with, with the story? Sure. Well, one of the, one of the constant motifs is, is just this idea of feeling like an outsider. I think now more than ever in this time and place, you have an awful lot of people who just feel like they're different than everyone else, that they, they have trouble relating and the subsequent consequences that that has on their heart and their way of looking at the world. So I'd say walking through that is a, a pretty constant motif throughout the book, as well as it really takes a hard look at 
what it means to affect change. And it's a, I think, a more realistic look than we tend to like to take. The idea is to not be a blind optimist and to really deal honestly with the hardship and the difficulty and the confusing parts of life. You know, the path is always a lot muddier and more difficult than it looks at first, but at the same time, not falling into that fatalism because the truth of the matter is work can be accomplished. Just the path there is usually a bit different than we anticipate. So it takes a real look at what what it actually costs to affect a breakthrough. And that's a big motif of the book. Zach and I were talking a few episodes ago about uh, the fact that Christians sometimes have to remember uh, that we are going to be or come across as a little crazy, especially in the face of folks who may be members of competing religions or other trends who are feeling their oats and feeling mm. the wind at their back and will say things like, we are inevitable. Uh, we are the future. Uh, you are part of the past. Uh, just clear off right now. Thank you very much. And uh, we are going to, we, we, we are destiny. And uh, which in some contexts, especially in social media, when people are a little ruder than usual, uh, can sound like the boast of a villain. Uh, you have already won a lost hero. I have won. You know. Um, so we covered this uh, in the cover story in Lorehaven uh, magazine. But I always like to ask uh, any a thoughtful author uh, who professes uh, Christ what their chief end or highest purpose is in creating these stories. Uh, in other words, you know, we could talk in terms of, you know, well, this book is not about this or not about that, or, you know, it's not too wholesome or not too gritty. Uh, what is your purpose as, as not only a creator of these stories, uh, but as a, as a biblical Christian who is creating these fantastical stories? You know, it's a wonderful question. And the older I get, the more I learn that the most convincing and true sort of confidence is a quiet confidence. You know, the people who have to stand up and say, we are inevitable, you know, and, and scream the loudest. Sometimes you have to stop and think that maybe they're trying to convince themselves. True. And, mm -hmm. you know, even, <laughs> even if we are promulgating something that's true, I think sometimes we can fall into that trap. And so, you know, the way I see my purpose has shifted over the years. I, I certainly am a Christian. I, I follow Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I believe that he's, he set me on this work. You know, but I think in the early days, like we were talking about in the magazine interview, I had this idea in my head that I was going to go out and change the world. And the way that I think about it now is, I think, a bit simpler. And uh, I hope a, a bit more of that quiet confidence that I think reflects reality. So if you plant a tomato plant in a garden, you know, its purpose is to make tomatoes. It's a tomato making machine. That's what it does. And as to what use those tomatoes go to, that is up to the gardener. And more and more, I feel like that's, that's me. So, uh, you know, I'm, I make stories. I'm, I love them. I'm built this way. When I think about a concept, I see it in scenes. I, I watch scenes and images in my head all day long. I think in dialogue. It's, it's just who I am. It's what I was made to do. And so as I pursue my craft and I study and I try to get better and I produce these stories, you know, I feel like it's really up to God what he does with them. And so, you know, instead of falling into that, uh, that loud screaming and yelling that we were talking about, I think what's, what's harder, but infinitely better is instead of having a checklist, 
you know, that I mark off as I write? Do I have this element in my story? Are people getting this thing out of it? Am I talking about this specific truth? I think what's what's harder and better is to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And as you know, as a writer, I try and fill my mind and heart with the scriptures and, and try and walk with God and live a good life. You know, I understand now that I think God's work is going to end up coming out through my work that way in ways that I couldn't have planned. And so the way I see my purpose now with what I'm trying to do with my with my books, with my writing, I'm just trying to illuminate truth and beauty. And I don't have a particular formula. You know, we always have different different ideas and driving themes in one book or another, of course. But on the whole, I just want to point people towards the sublime. I want to show them something that's true, something that's beautiful, and let the Spirit do something in their heart after that. That's up to the gardener. Amen to that. Wes, I, I love earlier how you said, you know, one of the themes you're playing around with is this idea of connection, that, that you can be very disconnected from others. You can feel like an outcast. You can feel weird. Yeah, you can feel a little crazy. And, you know, how you're showing that through the gospel, that need is met. And that's a, that's a very deep need that everyone can relate to. I still remember the movie Contact from the mid-90s where Matthew McConaughey's character, which I can't do an impression of, Stephen probably could do a better <laughs> impression of, even though I'm, I'm a native Texan, but he makes this point of, uh, in, in like a TV interview or something, he's, he's uh, Palmer Joss, the character, says, you know, we're, we're more connected than ever, but we feel more lonely than ever. And, you know, this was before, uh, this was like dial-up internet days. And so it was just like, what are you talking mm. about? You know, and he talk, mentioned shopping online. You know, this is way before social media. And I just remember thinking of that and like, that's not true. Come on. Huh. Like what, what, once the internet is like super fast and we can spend all of our time connected to others, there's no way we'll feel alone. And, and yet here we are in 2020. And I, I think we, we've, we've all seen how the connectivity, the constant connectivity can make us feel very fractured and, and just very tribalized and just very polarized. And so it, it's opened up this need in a lot of people that, and, and the gospel can fill that. So I, I just want to ask you, like what, you know, you talked about your own faith. What are some ways that that Christ, the gospel, has met a, a certain need for you in your life? I agree with you. What you said, I do think that we're in this age where we're more connected than ever, and and yet so many people feel so alone. As the great philosopher Jack's Mannequin once said, "Dark blue, dark blue. Have you ever felt alone in a crowded room?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with uh, that uh, particular. Yeah, was it, was, it was a pretty franchise? obscure reference. It was, okay, was yeah, thank you, because wow. I was, I was, I was feeling, <laughs> I, I very home, very, feeling very homeschooled here. That's cool. <laughs> I, I actually didn't know if it was meant to be serious or meant as a joke, because I just didn't know the person. So I didn't Zach wanna, is I a total yeah, Austin yeah. hipster. I just assumed that he knew what it was. <laughs> I didn't want to laugh if it was supposed to be serious. Hanging out with yeah. the boys so, at the record store. So that's downtown. a swing and, swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So question was... Uh, yeah, okay. How has the, the gospel fulfilled that need? Okay, great. I'm with you. I do think that loneliness is an epidemic in this culture and in this time. I think it's something that pretty much, well, I'll say the vast majority of the population can agree with just because there's a lot of people around or that you can be on social media all, all the time doesn't mean that those deepest needs of our heart are really met. And I think part of the reason is we just don't understand what we're for. So, 
you know, uh, I'm friends with Bill and Pam Farrell. They're authors and speakers. They write a wonderful, uh, a lot of really wonderful books. And one of the things they say when they're talking to people who are having relationship difficulties, they say, there's such a thing as a line in your life. And when you're above the line, even when you have difficulties, pretty much everything is good. And when you're below the line, everything sets you off. Everything is terrible. Everything is the end of the world. And so I think in the human heart, when we don't know what we're for, when we don't know what our position is, everything's wrong. And we're not really going to feel like we're able to connect to people very well, not necessarily just because we're having difficulty connecting, but because we have a deeper issue. We don't know what we're for. You know, we don't know what our position is. And human beings, I think, are purpose-craving individuals. I think that everyone ultimately is a worshiper of something. And I think the gospel fills that need because all of a sudden you understand what your purpose is, right? And I even think that's the difference between uh, a church that is that is teaching in a mature fashion versus a, a church that's teaching a watered-down gospel is you really, you understand the purpose that God has for your life. You understand your position. So once you understand who you are, all of a sudden you can relate with others. You know, the Bible says we love because he loved us first. So if I understand that I'm loved by God, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm able to put that out as well. You know, we have to live from a place of abundance and relationships, I think, are a two-way street. It's funny, a lot of times you'll go to a group and, you know, everybody is lonely. And you think we could solve this problem really easily. Just go and be friends with each other, right? But uh, to a certain degree, I think you can't give what you haven't received. And so the gospel, I think, fills that need because we understand that Christ has sacrificed for us so we can sacrifice for others. God has been patient with us so we can be patient with others. God has delighted in us so we can delight in others. So I think that gives us a, a foundation to erode that anxiety and loneliness that we see. Well, in light of Christ's life and sacrifice and resurrection, it does take risk as Christians to get over uh, some of our own blindness and get over some of other people's craziness and get together and get to know one another and build those relationships. Uh, and some of that, of course, can be helped by stories. Uh, we connect a lot through the types of stories that we enjoy, uh, particularly fantasy. So ho hopefully we're, we're a part of that. And I, I hope that For Whom the Sun Sings will help to bring readers together as well. Uh, Wes, what other stories might be in your future? Uh, what do you want to say, if anything, about uh, what else you have going on in your imagination now? All sorts of things, as usual, juggling a bunch of projects. And unfortunately, I can't get into too much detail until we get the old contract signed. But, um, you know, I will say I've got, a, I've got a novel in my back pocket that I've held back for a few years. That is the next thing I'm going to take to, uh, to Steve, my agent. And uh, it's called The Weathermen. And uh, that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> but I'm really excited. It's, it's a little bit more of an urban fantasy. Um, and uh, I've got another trilogy that I'm working on right now that is uh, more, more epic fantasy. And so kind of dipping my toes into the different subgenres. We're also doing a, a re-edit of some books I did early in my career called the Starfall series, which is more of that sort of YA traditional fantasy. So a lot of different subgenres I'm messing around with. All right. Uh, where, of course, can our listeners find you on the interwebs and or the social medias? Instagram is the best place. You can follow me at WA Fulkerson for updates and whatever's going on in my brain. 
at any given moment. We also have a website, wa4person.com, but uh, Instagram is where we update the most often. So that's probably the best play. All right. It was great to have you, Wes. Thanks. I had a good time. Thanks for having me. Okay, that was so fun hearing from W.A. Fulkerson. Now we're going to turn to our Fantastic Fans segment. This is where we hear from you, the listener, on your feedback, whatever it is, to our episodes. And we have a YouTube channel, and most of y'all listen through a podcast app, but we also have all of this content on YouTube, which is a little bit easier to listen to, like if you have a... uh, like a smart TV or some kind of Alexa device. And by the way, I hope I just triggered all the Alexas in your house just for fun. So you can go to YouTube and just search for Lorehaven, our fantastical truth and find all these episodes. So someone named Aaron left us a comment on episode five on the YouTube channel. And episode five was what harm are the Witcher and other shows doing to their people? And that was our interview with Jason Moorhead who writes for Opus Zine. Aaron's comment is, quote, I was disappointed in the Witcher series as well. They had so much potential for more imagination, but in place of that, they pandered us with pointless sex scenes. The Lord of the Rings was way more successful and without a single nude scene. I hope the second season will get it right. I haven't given up yet, end quote. Aaron, thank you so much for your comment. I'm so glad our episode about this gave you some good food for thought. And I totally relate to that, that... (laughs) So often what we see in movies and shows is just a failure of imagination. But next on Fantastical Truth, we are going to talk about a really fun topic that has been in the works for a number of months now. We are going to be talking about aliens and UFOs and a lot of things that have been in the news, a lot of stories related to aliens, a lot of real life encounters with UFOs. And this is going to get really interesting, Stephen. Aliens. Yes. Audiences love aliens. Oh, snap. (laughs) Aliens. Aliens from space. Ancient aliens. That's right. I'm not saying it's aliens. Therefore, aliens. (laughs) Or the Christian version, uh, which I have actually adapted into meme form. I don't know. Therefore, demons. I don't know. Therefore, Nephilim. (laughs) Nephilim, Hey, we may actually talk about Nephilim here. It's everyone knows. It's my favorite topic. That's all the Bible is about is Nephilim, 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 all that stuff about Jesus and the cross and <laughs> salvation and death and resurrection, the new heavens and new earth. Psh, it's all about the Nephilim and the aliens, baby. Okay. Can you tell I'm a little skeptical about this topic? So this is going to be a fascinating discussion for sure, because Zach has been hitting the books. He's been delving into the, uh, the warehouse full of the Ark of the Covenant and all these artifacts and the crystal skulls, all of that stuff. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's got on his tin foil. We are, we are so we are so ready for this all, all the way. Yeah. So let's see them aliens. <laughs> yeah. So for you, our listener, I, I have taken a very serious approach to this topic because I really want to get to the bottom of what everyone is saying about it, what everyone thinks about this topic. Why do people believe in UFOs? Why do people think? And, and by the way, we're, we're talking about some very recent stuff that has been very high profile in the news. And so I really wanted to get to the bottom of it and take take a very meticulous approach to it. So, you know, we're going to treat this topic as seriously as we can. We're obviously going to give our own feedback and opinions and, and try to offer a Christian worldview, but Hey, there are a lot of different Christian perspectives on this as well. So I, I want you to uh, join us and uh, send us your thoughts about this, but we will see you next time on that episode. Until then, even if everyone around you is born blind 
can't see, can't see the light, keep chasing the light. And thank God for whatever ways that he has revealed his light to you as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth.